Welcome back, everybody. If you haven't listened to part one of Is Our Children Learning, I recommend you go back and do that now. Ryan had to drop out after the break, but we collectively thought there was more to say on the subject, even tonight, let alone later on. So we brought Mitchell on, and we soldiered on a little bit farther into the night. Enjoy. Is Our Children Learning, part two. We have to soldier on without old man Riley. Oh, no. He's been hit. What (laughs) happens? I don't know. Finish. I'm closing out. You're Finish hit up hard. without me, old man Riley. Dot dot dot. Out. Out. Explosion in background. Slightly less old man Mitchell. So now we have pinch hitter Mitchell Londrigan. I am the oldest person here now without old man Riley. Is that true? I mean, I looked at you like <laughs> it's yeah. not me. Yeah, long shot. I had to think about seven it. months probably. Mm. Yeah, mm. November 11th, 88. I'm almost 27. Never forget. My I don't which, think that's right, if I was a musician, would be dangerous, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Personally, you quit that life a long time ago. <laughs> Those days be are behind I think you. I'll be okay. Not join that club. Jazz. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up soon. That's dangerous. So, Mitchell, education, good or bad? I think education is good. I don't know that uh, schooling as it is in America is necessarily good. Mitchell what's hates the, uh, schools. I do. Uh, what's the uh, Mark Twain co- uh, quote? About education. Don't let your schooling get in the way of your education. Yes, that's the one. Yep. Yeah, I, I like that quote. I think it's pretty good. Uh, that said, I think that uh, elementary school, uh, middle school, and to a lesser extent high school, it's very important uh, um, to develop, um, like you guys were talking about earlier, critical thinking skills, uh, thinking skills in general in, in students. And uh, also I think it's important. And one thing that I think that's been lost over the last couple of years is to have un- some unstructured time yeah. uh, for for students, and that that would tie into to what I brought up briefly about uh, having a longer school day, uh, which again is is an issue with budgets and with scheduling, with buses and with everything else. But having a longer school day and having a, a longer school year as well, um, or at least a school year that's not broken up by a two and a half to three month summer break, which mm-hmm. is hugely detrimental to yeah. uh, it's, it's to some students. One of the worst. Parts. Dramatically injures. Poor students. It does. Um, I think uh, there was a study I was looking at that uh, higher income students uh, over summer summer break move up yes, half a grade do. level, and lower income students over the summer break go down half a grade level. Yep. So it summer break by itself. The numbers vary, but the data yeah. are qualitatively in that direction. Yeah, right. and the, and like I said, the, the budgeting is hard for that. Uh, but I think having a longer school day, especially in elementary and middle school. Um, just so that there's unstructured time, so that there's uh, time for extracurricular activities, uh, for everything like that. I think it's important. Middle school one. could get easier than elementary. I'm sorry, I was just thinking, even lo- not just budget-wise, but logistically, the reason, one of the biggest problems with having two sets of, of buses running is that elementary school gets let out, I think, around 3 o'clock, and middle school at about 4 and if you had the second row, do they need those buses at four o'clock for most of the students? Yeah. So it, it'd be difficult uh, to get students out of sec, you know, first, second elementary school and first middle school at yep. the same time. Yeah, I, I mean, they, they they stagger it like that so they only need one set exactly. of buses. Exactly. Yeah. Um, one thing I was going to say is uh, one solution to that that's pretty easy is you just that that doesn't require any necessarily additional funding or anything like that is you just distribute summer break throughout the year more evenly. Yeah, that, that's um, what it would cut be. summer break down to like a month and a half and and make Christmas vacation a little bit longer, stick right. in more vacation days, spring break a little longer, uh-huh. yeah, and then spring and, and, and students love that too, break. you know, right, right. like 
they're not going to keenly feel the loss of a month and a half during the summer because I mean, it's whatever. Like, but everybody loves holidays. It's a holdover from when we were mostly agrarian so yeah. that <laughs> kids could help with a summer harvest. Yeah. And that's not really important. But so is daylight savings time. Yeah, that's <laughs> true as well. I, I agree with Penn Jillette. I think daylight savings time is one of the last vestiges the government has to remind you that they own you. Because <laughs> no one <laughs> likes daylight savings. No one can defend that anymore. It is pointless now. Outside all, of a visceral but perspective, not all states, yes. Not all states do it. it but so. that's, you're losing the daylight no matter what. Right, but I love going to daylight savings party and partying an extra hour than I should have been able to. <laughs> but then you lose another hour later. Yeah, but and I the only anyway. reason is because <laughs> the government... I told you viscerally. This isn't an actually we good reason. We just have more daylight savings times. <laughs> so we're just going back in time. Right? Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, more cost to party, right? So you gotta have a party every time there's a daylight savings. Yo, what's his name? Daniel Tosh is in favor of making daylight savings time move backwards six hours <laughs> so that all the night owls can actually see the sun every once in a while. That would be nice. And yeah, with elementary, go ahead and just bringing that back uh, to the scheduling. With elementary and middle school, I think longer days. With high school, I think flexibility is important uh, because a lot of high school kids at 16 are going to be getting jobs. Right. Yep. Um, and those jobs should not be discouraged. No, they should definitely not be. Right. Um, we actually had that problem uh, in our in our local county about, I think, six years ago, where have, starting high school, I think, an hour later was going to save, uh, or an hour or two later was going to save the, the county a lot of money, and then starting elementary school earlier was, was going to do the same. But the high school students were like, well, I, I need to work afterwards, so yeah. I, I don't have this opportunity to just start school later because then I'm not getting as many hours as I need to. Mm-hmm. And they had a, a solution for a short time where, oh, you can also take, you know, early morning classes so you can do the regular schedule. But at that point, they were like, you know what, this isn't, this is causing way more trouble than it's worth. It's not, we're, we might be saving money, but our students are suffering. And yep. that was fortunately a good decision on Orange County's part to, to, to negate that. that. Yeah. yeah, they changed it. It was like two years, maybe, that that schedule was in effect. Mm-hmm. What do you think about uh, block schedules? I wish I could give a really um, a really solid answer for that, but I have so little experience with block schedules. I have heard of that a lot of our it, it is tricky to schedule lesson planning for you know a hundred minute periods as opposed to fifty minute periods, especially because to some extent, if you're if your students aren't already engaged in whatever it is you're teaching. Like, it's difficult to keep students engaged for 50 minutes, let alone have a second lesson afterwards. That's another 50 minutes. I can imagine it's very difficult for the students who are already not not engaged in the class. And for the teacher, more so to keep those students, you know, in line and engaged and more relevantly, like, not misbehaving. Because mm-hmm. when you're bored, you do bored things. And that's yeah. not good for the rest of your class. Well, yeah. That is, a weird, that is a weird dynamic, though. If you, um, <laughs> it would be terrible to assume that some of your students are going to fall off during that time. But if you did plan for that, I've heard way more teachers in the back of my mind that still vaguely remembers voices every once in a while. I remember way more teachers complaining about how short periods were when we were in school. They were around 50 minutes, then complained about how long they were. Because there's a there's an overhead, right, for every yeah. period, essentially. Right, you right. have to orient the students towards doing what you want them to do for the day. And, and they're, they're, this one's a bit of a Goldilocks mechanic, where the teachers, they wanted the class to be a little bit longer. They didn't want it to be twice as long. Uh-huh. Yeah. Maybe like like, like block periods, I'm pretty sure, 90 minutes long. They, they didn't want... 50-minute classes, they probably wanted, yeah, 65 or 70-minute classes. They didn't want the whole hour and a half. Which is interesting. They don't do that, at least they didn't do it 
in UF. I don't know how long classes were at UCF. I assume they weren't much more than an yeah, hour if they were. Standard college classes. Yeah. Some are 50 minutes, yeah. some are, um, yeah. I mean, if you get special classes. Yeah, they all they adhere to this hour-long, yeah. like, is an hour a natural amount of time? It feels pretty natural to me, yeah, to be honest with you. For scheduling sake, it makes the most sense. Like, it's just easy to say, I have a class at five, I have a class well, at not six. Even, well, not but even I was, I was like, about to say, that learning. doesn't apply at our school, though. Our school... You yeah. went into 05 and 15 and 25 yeah. because they had the time between the classes. Right, right. So you don't even get that. I'm, I am actually like saying I feel like an hour is about right for absorbing information. And maybe that's just because I've been absorbing information at that rate for so long. Um, but I feel like I can process about that much information in a day for a given topic. Mm. And beyond that, I need time to... More than that, it's it, it, it starts to get difficult for it to set. Um, well, and, and less than that is also fine, but I, I feel like that's about the right pace. I think the advantage, though, of block system is you get so you get two hours to kind of drill something in, or uh, 75 minutes if you wanted to reduce it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then you have a day for that to settle uh, without going into a new topic in that same class than just right afterwards, right mm -hmm. the next day. You have mm -hmm. a little bit more time for that to... To set off the for day in between is to be done for, yeah. Yes, I right. will agree. Do we think the college system? Do we think the college to be more exact in talking about structure? Do we think the college structure of having staggered days is better? I do actually. Yeah, and there are some there are some lower level school lower level primary and secondary schools that do that. Um, there are there are some private schools that essentially have class twice a week, um, and you're given assignments in between. And expected to complete them on your own time, so it's. I mean, it's 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 a rich person school because it requires one parent staying at home essentially. Yeah. It's um, it's a tough dynamic. I can but, definitely see, like he said, the uh, the benefits of the every other day. Um, just allowing the information to. Sink I think in it's really better important. for for higher levels. I think for like eighth grade and higher, it's important. But at lower grades, your students they really do need the consistency of being in class every day. And in mm -hmm. middle school, I guess, like, because they're getting used to the shifting schedule in the first place because, you know, K through 5 is, is one class, maybe two teachers, you know, because it's PE or something. But giving them the opportunity to, to get used to that, that scheduled structure Go and memorize how to work to for a structure. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know that they ever do block schedule for middle school. It's usually a high school. Yeah, it's, it's a that, high school thing. That's true. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if it could be at any way effectively translated to lower grades. I think the students need the consistency. That's a good point. Lower grades need, I mean, I, when we talk about education in general, I think between high school and college, there is some degree of lumping you can do, especially now with the extended adolescence into somewhere in the 24, 25 range. Right. K-5 needs to be addressed differently. I mean, the needs yeah. of those students is completely different. Yeah, absolutely. They have literally no agency in a way that the, other, the students above that don't. Yeah. And then middle school... There's a, there's a tacit understanding that no one seems to learn anything in middle school. Middle school is a transition. Don't. It is yeah. very much the transition is, between elementary school it, and. It's a school. biological necessity. Uh huh. Yeah. As Actually, much as anything. Seriously, though. we've mentioned yeah. the. It, it um, is true. <laughs> oh, I wasn't. I was I'm not making fun <laughs> no, of it. That's uh -huh. what it's. It, it's designed to be a buffer. Yep. Yeah, between you, the two. Using the the international model, actually, I think my mom always described that in Peru. It's actually it's K six. Like, I think they've, under, they've understood so much that middle school is such a transition period that they want to spend as little time, you know, translating as they can, so they just extend K through 6. So you only have 7th and 8th grade felt, I don't, I want a better word than this, but wasted trying to figure out how to be in college or how to be in high school. 
Mm. You know, you're only spending two years on this transition. I remember more or less nothing that I learned in middle school. Yeah. Well, that, I was that in jazz in, band. Yeah, dude, that was fun. <laughs> I remember 9-11. <laughs> I do as well. Yeah. Wow. Well, I was different. in fifth grade. I know, bringing it, bringing it low. Um, yeah, I don't know that I... I band as well, yeah. Yeah. I never banned as well. I definitely I remember my teachers. Banned. Yeah. Never forget. And, uh, information. You remember your teachers? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can almost name them. Almost? I can name a number of them, actually. I could I probably give you my two. schedules from my schedule in sixth grade and seventh and eighth grade. I That's what the order of the day was. I can't That's do that. Impressive. Mine was easy because it was basically all banned all the time. <laughs> yeah, you had banned like three times a day. So. I literally had three banned. I had banned at least three times. Right? Yeah, oh, I was a student assistant in band. That's <laughs> no where way. I. Okay. That's where I got that's where my chops to be a good trombone player. Was Just by practicing by practicing time. during yeah. that time, and then I never had to practice again when I got to high school because I was good enough in middle school. All right. Yeah, we were. <laughs> we did essentially the same thing. I came in every day in middle Andy school. Andy and, and I were. Sitting, we trombonists. Were... <laughs> we basically had tenure in the yep. in the <laughs> ensemble. Excellent. Well, we had that tall, uh, awesome AP music theory class where we learned so much. <laughs> oh my gosh, dude! I, sorry, I have a story. Speaking to tell you of about education, don't need to go into that. Yeah. But uh, yeah. The, yeah, suffice advanced placement. While it is good to be aspirational, there are ways to screw that up. Um, right. Thanks. Without Mr. going, yeah, well I, I wasn't gonna name names, <laughs> but since Andy Dude, did it, I guess we'll be all right. I mean, he's, he's, totally gonna, he's totally gonna listen to this podcast, well, and when, then he is going to come and hunt I would, you. I will say that uh, when we learned in that class, <laughs> the learning that we did was was good. I mean, it was good to know that I was gonna get a five going in. <laughs> yeah. Didn't that number didn't go up as a result of being in the class? I'll say that. Much. Indeed not. No. Um, <laughs> but that's an outlier. I mean, that's not typical for... No, no it's not. Most teachers yeah. care. <laughs> I think, probably. I don't know. Hav, do most teachers care? I like to think so. Um, no, no, that's, sure. not, that's not what I asked. Do most teachers care? The, te- the teachers that I think... I think the teachers that I've had experience with, yes, they have cared. It's a yes or no question, think, doctor. <laughs> and it's probably more important that you care in teaching than in most other professions because especially in, in middle, and elementary, middle and elementary school, you're working with impressionable kids. Exactly. If they absolutely. see don't, that you don't care, then that is kind of a big detriment to their Yeah, I think, I think a lot of the, lo- the not caring comes a lot more heavily in college. Like, it kind of, it shows up, peaks its ugly head in high school every once in a while. But I do remember most of my teachers. I can't, I can't think of one off the top of my head who didn't care, who just, you know, Cameron Diaz, bad teacher kind of thing. I can, they all were pretty good. I can think of some who didn't like kids very much, but... To say that they didn't care about teaching, I don't know if I could say that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, caring is important. Caring is important. <laughs> that's the that's the takeaway. Yeah. Speaking of takeaways, if Hav, in the in the K twelve system, you could spend any amount of money to fix one thing, what do you think would be the most impactful in terms of improving the educational system? It's okay to say that there's no there's no good answer, or that there's, I, or that the that's not are too, okay. You need an answer. I, I can't, too interconnected. To, I can't immediately like fix something, but I do think that we have a problem with standardized standardized testing as a whole. We 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 touched on it earlier, mm-hmm. but if you really want to read the problem with standardized testing, um, you can find Nichols and Berliner uh, wrote collateral damage. You know the the negative effects of 
of standardized testing on schooling, and you'll you'll see how corrupt and ineffective and how just like I don't know devastating they are for students, and and how they can. The worst part is that we we mentioned in passing, you know, teaching to the test and what that actually means. In theory, the tests are built on the standards. I've I've seen an end of course outline for for a class that one of my um, my volunteer teachers gave me. And it says there is going to be seven questions on this standard. So theoretically, there is a standard, and if the students have um, mastered. mastered that standard, then they will be able to answer this question with, you know, let's say, 80% proficiency. That should get them through it. Um, and the test is theoretically built on that. However, the problem is when in, in the schools that are struggling on their standardized tests, the teachers are so driven by their supervisors by their principals by all these external factors to get the students to teach that they literally only teach how to solve the questions on the test and this mm -hmm. is very ineffective for students it leads to a very non-inflexible um, classroom structure everything is didactic and lecturing there, there's no inquiry there's no time for students to explore there's literally you need to understand how to solve this question the standard almost goes away the standard is helping you know what question you're going to be addressing and well, that's very problematic is is that standard deliberately pushing, is that standard bumping up against what we would consider to be grade level understandings? Are those questions that we would have expected prior to the tests for students to understand? Not in a specific context, because the standardized test is overly specific. I mean, that's one of the largest cracks against it is that you, in teaching to the test, one of the problems with teaching to a test is that you know what's on it. You know what's on it in a weirdly in, in it's overly, bit, yeah. yeah, it's it's not abstract enough. But is it is it that they are being aggressive that they need to teach to that level, or is it just that disadvantaged children have enough of a hard time keeping up at their grade level that even a test that is at that grade level is not even being aspirational? It's just too much. Yes, absolutely. You you can totally see the difference in between. Uh, SESs and affect uh, social economic status, uh, different students at different SESs and, and passing those standards because of exactly just how far you start. So much of education, a lot of topics are just very, they, they build upon themselves. So if a student gets a little bit behind here, they're going to get a little bit behind there until they're just massively behind. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's very problematic. That even starts early. You know, if you, if you talk to people and upper middle classes, they're like, oh yeah, my, my pre-preschooler is going to go to this particular school so that they can start getting ahead so that they can understand, so they have the time to read and practice reading and just have that exposure. And, you know, two-year-olds can't read, but having the exposure <laughs> to letters and words and books means so much to these students. It Maybe you could. grants a spectacular effect on the success of these students. And that that's another just radical differentiation between just the the jagged line of, of high income students and low income students and how many more opportunities they have and how vividly and immediately that effect shows up. So yeah, I think the standards are <laughs> frequently developed by politicians who are more than likely upper class citizens. <laughs> they said, well, this is what my students were able to learn. This is what I was able to learn. This is what students at this level should be able to learn. So if they're, every student given my opportunities should be able to pass this test. I think they forget that given my opportunity status and the students who are not given those opportunities are still held to that same standard in a very unfair way. And I think there's also kind of a myth just in America in general mm -hmm. that the people who end up in the places they are 
are talented and therefore deserve the success that they have. Absolutely, There's purely on that on that merit, and I and I that has to leak through into the education system in 100%. some way. You know, yeah. I think there is. Uh, we've brought it up several times in talking about socioeconomic status and budgeting. I think there's a. Uh, I think there's a hatchet question that we haven't quite addressed. In any of the experience that the people around this table have, did the school system need to care about us any more than it did? Do you mean when we grew up in upper middle class suburban Orlando or oh, I mean, just at I, all? I mean in a general sense because we were mostly capable of gliding through pre, you know, before college, I mean, and even to some degree in college, it was pretty easy to just glide along. Yep. And we were going to be fine because our parents had the wherewithal to make sure that we were, fine. We were not going to have a problem. Did the school system need to care about us even as much as it did in order for us does, to be successful? Does it make societal sense? Because, I mean, theoretically, the point of having... The point of a social society is that you elevate those who have the capacity so that their talents can be used for a greater you good. You give them the opportunity to That design. is important, but is the education system, how much is the education system actually mattering in that equation? Should we have been singled out for ignorance's sake? I think so. I, I would say yes, in my opinion. I don't think that primary education did much for me, personally. <laughs> yep. um, and there is a stratification in ability that happens. Uh, I don't know. If the, I don't know how early that happens, but it's definitely uh, very apparent through middle and high school. Um, and I think that, in a lot of ways, that the public school system in America caters to the not to the lowest common denominator because it doesn't do enough to help the the people who are at the lowest levels, but to the middle denominator, to the median. Um, and, and there's some argument that the people who are, are who have higher abilities and everything will, will take the initiative to do stuff on their own, but not everybody will. And, no. uh, and yeah. it's just, it, it seems perverse to me, despite having benefited from it to at least some extent, I think, that okay. they spent extra money on us. I mean, if you ever look at the forms where it talks about special special education needs, the gifted programs allocate money for us. They spend more money on us. Mm -hmm. And AP programs through high school are more expensive than non-AP yeah. programs. They're, they're, they're putting County. money hire into teachers. Well, and, and they have to be certified in Orange County at least. Mm -hmm. uh, I think other counties in Florida as well pay for the AP exams, which mm -hmm. are expensive mm -hmm. um, in general. And I'm just, I'm wondering, I'm wondering how much value there really was in that. Like, it'd be hard. I, it's I an experiment. Of value. I agree. I don't think it's a resources I think, issue. I think it's uh, an issue with the fact that they just don't that, that they don't push enough uh, to the people, push hard enough on the people who are at the, the higher levels. And, and I think, in my opinion, but what is that? It's take? also important. Huh. It's I think it's also important to have a, just to have something to aspire to. Honestly. No, no, no. I, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying, I'm specifically talking about devoting. I'm talking about devoting resources to it that we but clearly you, need somewhere else. Sure. No, I but you have to have in order to have that that sort of higher level education, uh, I mean, there there has to be something there, right? You need to have the like, resources, you need to have the teachers who are capable who of, are teaching, capable at of teaching at that level. Who are capable of teaching at that level, exactly. And, and, and if there's nothing to aspire to, if there's 
if everybody is just the same. Do those teachers need I, to be more talented to teach us? Yes. Really? Yes. Okay. They need to be capable of, of teaching. Uh, they, yeah, there's they're a certain different, almost more, they, they throw around the term differentiated instruction a lot in the past several years of learning <laughs> education. But it's kind of the idea that, that students um, learn in different ways and it's important for them to express that learning in different ways, mm -hmm. whether it be whatever, you know, here's your project, here's the three different ways you can turn it in kind of thing. So, so more often than not, we were exposed to a lot of that in the gifted program. I think a lot of teachers who are not teaching gifted don't use that as much. I think they should. I think it's I, important. Th and that's that's the thing I was gonna get to, is is the gifted program for everybody? Is that a thing that should just be expanded? I think that they could do, well, I think there are aspects. I can't speak to what classes like in a classroom where the students are not gifted, um, but I would say that there are aspects of the gifted program, specifically creative, more creative thinking and critical thinking, uh, critical thinking that uh, could be expanded into other classrooms as well. Mm -hmm. Though a lot of the time spent, I did, I have spent a little bit of time in non-gifted yeah. classes between, I don't know. Well, I mean, I, it's not like I was in gifted classes all the time. It's just I just mean even in high school, and and part of that is I think teachers in gifted classroom, this is going to sound a little bit elitist and unfortunate because I just had this experience. We're all in gifted programs. I, Don't I, worry about I it. I mean the, the listeners as well. It's just, I do remember spending a couple hours, a handful of days in, in non-gifted classes and the teacher definitely has to spend more time learning classroom management in non-gifted classes than in gifted classes. They can spend more time on differentiated instruction and different methods for students because the students are generally well behaved. And this is unfortunate. I remember yep. my, my engineering one class my sophomore year of high school was miserable because all the students just didn't want to be there and they all acted like it. So the teacher had to be stern. He couldn't spend as much time, you know, expanding on the students and, and talking to them one-on-one -on -one because he was so busy dealing with them one-on-one. -on -one. That sounds way harder than dealing with any of the classes I was in. But it's, the, the, the teachers are, it's, let me phrase this the teachers have more time to be taught the differentiated instruction. Not just, it's not more difficult. It's just, it's a different method of thinking. It's our government thinking, these are our students who we know are gonna do well. So are we gonna actually just give them every opportunity? I know we should be giving all our students every opportunity to succeed, but to some extent from a business model that's unreliable, that's... Well, and we just don't have the money. Exactly. At the end of the day. We, there's not enough resources. I think so. if we had the resources, then it would absolutely be great to expand that level of individual attention and yeah. individual, <laughs> you know, teaching to those to those lower level classrooms. And even part of it goes down to the fact that you need, there's usually fewer students in gifted classes as opposed to more students in, in, in regular level classes. And in those regular level classes, when behavior is already an issue, you just need more teachers. Mm -hmm. That yeah. depended on when we're talking about. There are a couple of <laughs> we had crowded 40, gift. 40 student gifted classes. Yeah. yeah. There's a reason we have as large a pool to pull from. I also remember 16 student chemistry classes. Yeah. Yeah. And I also remember going to a regular yeah, chemistry AP, class that had 35 students. My AP yeah. chem and the teacher literally spent the entire day telling students oh, 16, to read 15? not to act out. My AP Euro class was oh. 15. I yeah, that dwindled to like around 10 by the end of the end of the semester once. So that's so we have we have some degree of consensus that it would be nice if that could if right. that could be expanded. So Classroom what is the linchpin size. preventing that from happening? 
Um, I'm trying to, because I, I tried to answer, Andy put a handful of questions out as his method for our talking points, and a lot of them seem pretty easy to suss out. Like, I, I try to do little notes for stuff, I brainstorm before we start. And this first question, the purpose of education, that's pretty straightforward. You know, you just, we already we covered kinda, that. Yep, we kind of just co we covered that. The structures we have in place, we can talk about that pretty concretely. But then he said the utopian solution. And I, even disrespect, irrespective of funding, I have no idea what the answer to the question is. Like, I don't, even, even if you could assume cooperation on the part of the students to some extent, I don't really know what the answer to that question is. I feel like, uh, I'm, I'm not a teacher myself, so I, I don't know uh, how much this is true, but I feel like in the United States that the teaching profession is not valued as highly as it should be. Mm. Um, and, and it's hard to evaluate teachers, um, like obviously merit-based pay is a controversial thing, and the idea is fine that better teachers should be rewarded mm -hmm. for that, but measuring how effective a teacher is I actually is disagree, but it would take a long time right, to explain why, so I will not. I will let you keep going. <laughs> That's fair, fair enough. Um, but you're in general, uh, and even accepting the, the merit oh, arguments, uh, just in general, I, I think teaching is not highly valued, and I think that pushes a lot of talented people who may have become teachers um, into other professions instead. Part of that is pay. Uh, teaching is is strictly middle class. Like there's not a lot of room for advancement beyond like middle middle class. Unless you want to go into into administration or something. Yes. Right. But uh, even then, it's not like a massive. It's, it's not, not a huge yeah, major. Yeah. You're not jumping a figure. So you got to make it, superintendent. Part of it's the pay. You have to I, start being at the level where you're making policies. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. you can make policies that you make more money. Isn't that <laughs> convenient? So I had. I always, have, <laughs> I always have the argument that, and I understand it. It makes sense because our our one of my good friends Patrick is um is a state prosecutor um and he always says that you know everyone always tells you that lawyers make a lot of money but it's like it does, Some it's, not, lawyers. it's not strictly true and the reason yeah. is because that it's a government position so the government's not here to make money the government is theoretically here to cover in to make enough money to pay their employees and that's the same thing with education until you of course get to the higher up and the joke that I made before when you get to politicians who decide how much they make they Maybe. start making a little bit more than everybody else the anti-government folks on the comment threads of articles I read say that government employees on average make 120 grand a year what's up with that? <laughs> I think they forget that uh, postal workers and teachers and that many that yeah many, that there's a lot and, of government jobs that and don't soldiers make that much. And, yeah, yeah and soldiers yeah, and that hundreds of thousands there's, of government there's a lot of people on the USA payroll they ain't seeing that's, that six that's, digit <laughs> that's a good point I need to shut the comments section down on my website <laughs> yeah. well I don't know if there are any comments but no there um, totally are I got and, someone who said random post oh, again yeah. I now have two of those um, yeah. and that ties in is that uh, I think some people may look down on teaching as a profession because they look down on the government, government employees, right? Uh, the the anti-institutionalism. It's yeah. like, oh, these these teachers are just teaching our students the wrong thing. They're teaching them to be, you know, monkey kids, as this is, poor old man Riley honestly, was. Honestly, this is that that's part of the reason why I asked that first question: the what is the purpose of education? Because mm -hmm. there is disagreement about that, there right? Is. And it is it is just difficult to overcome that that level, especially for teachers, because the teachers have, they have influence over their students for sure, but it is limited. Again, our, our good friend Anna was talking to us uh, a, hand, a while ago. She's the, the elementary school teacher. And one of her students says, my dad says that boys are smarter than girls. And you cannot tell this student that her dad is wrong. How do you 
in any possibility motivate that. So the teachers have a certain, they have a responsibility to try their hardest to make this, to help the students become independent and critical thinkers, but it is very difficult to overcome social pressures from parents and from their environment. So we're, we're really trying on that, what's the purpose of teaching? We want students to be literate and conscious and critical thinking, and we are doing everything we can, but part of that does go into our parents. And, and hopefully, as the gen, I'm sure everyone says this, but as the next generation of, of adults become parents, that they will be able to tell their students that how to be critical thinkers. Is critical thinking anti-familial? It depends on your family. Yep. It, if your family thinks... I'm going to ask the question again. <laughs> is it anti-familial? Because if it is ever the case, you suddenly have a really, really strong political case to shut it down. Why would you separate... Why would you break down a family I, that I, way? I disagree because... Yeah, I do too. Uh, and children are not required to go to public schools. If they were, if education is compulsory, but you can be homeschooled. And I think the fact that you can be homeschooled... It's illegal in Germany. Yeah. I, I think the fact that you can be homeschooled kind of takes that argument away. If, if parents are not... If they are so focused uh, on if, their ideals, then they will be able to find are, the time and the resources yes, to teach if, the students. If they are that That's unhappy with the way that public school systems work, they can either homeschool their kids or send them to private school. I agree with that as well. Except that now we'll just take the same hardline stance the other way around. Are parents allowed to do whatever they want with their children? <laughs> that could be a whole other topic. Sure. I think it's the exact same topic. Because if we're talking about the way that education is if, if we're talking about the way that funding is allocated for public schooling specifically, private schooling, as long as it is legal, it's hard to be normative about that because private school could take any number of forms and it has to be experimental and laboratory oriented. But as far as public schooling is concerned, you have to satisfy two sides of a spectrum who both have a pretty strong case in their corner. The moral argument that you should not be beholden to the government's wishes is ironclad as far as I'm concerned. Equivalently, parents should not have absolute free agency over their children. That is equally ironclad to me. I don't think either of those can fall away. Frankly, I don't think there's generally much of a conflict. Not normally. Except that in a lot of instances where you have families with those views, you run into these clashes. It's where teachers get a bad rap. Most of the time, when students complain at teachers, it is parents complaining at teachers. Naturally. Because the students <clears throat> are there in class, and they have some degree of context. It is when they go home. That disrespect does not exist in most other professions. It's the reason why doctors don't have that problem. It's the reason why lawyers don't have that problem. Because they're dealing with adults. Teachers have to deal with kids. They're one of the only professions that does. And the way that they get their information to the parents is secondhand. It's the, it's the students. And that's fucking brutal for PR. Yeah. That makes that a really hard nut to crack. Kids are a pain in the ass. Kids. <laughs> I'm going to sound anti-kid here for a second. That's going to be a first. I'm trying <laughs> not to. It's an anti-kid podcast. Because I understand <laughs> that they are a necessary no, evil. Here. You are the counterbalance. But kids, <laughs> kids are the end of a hell of a lot of good ideas. Because having people with no agency 
is really sticky. And I think it's a problem that teachers have that, and again, I think the moral side of this can be argued on both sides in a way that is that is free of criticism. Um, And teachers fall in the middle of that. And that's just, that is a fully cultural thing. Teachers are naturally digging themselves out of a ditch in that argument. Um, And they have no allies at the moment. Um, No one, no one cares about teachers aside from people talking, bloviating practically about the standards of education falling. And everyone else blames teachers because they're the ones in control of the one element that does not have agency. Yeah. And that's really shitty. <laughs> um, I'm not sure how to fix that, but thankfully I'm not a teacher. There has so. to, yeah, there has <laughs> to be a little bit more... Or a parent. <laughs> a little bit more connection between, I think, the way that... I don't know. In, in that case, it's the way that the government approaches teachers and the way that teachers approach well, teaching. So I... Dave and I were talking a little while back about... Um, societal problems in general and mm-hmm. how you solve them. Um, by a little while, Mac, I mean last night. Yeah. <laughs> Every time he um, says a little while ago, he's talking about 24 hours ago. <laughs> That's not exclusively true. It's um, been exclusively <laughs> true so far. Anyway, I'm sorry, Andy. Go ahead. No, uh, no uh, we were talking about um, solving societal problems in the abstract and just kind of how any any sort of structural solution that you might posit to a problem is going to have enormous... You know, it interact. The structure interacts with people, mm-hmm. um, and people interact with the structure in completely unpredictable ways. And so, things that you try and do to solve problems just kind of don't work at all the way you intended them to half the time. Um, and so, a- as far as I can tell, the only really productive thing you can do is talk to people and and try and figure out how you can how you can you know engage people in dialogue to try and change things at a grassroots level um yeah i I feel like much of what i can do towards solving any sort of problem is to engage other people and try and work towards some sort of solution yeah and from an education perspective this is this is both this is the bridge between the the parent teacher conference is Mm -hmm. that that this the parents have to be willing to listen to the teachers, and the teachers have to, to some extent, take into consideration what the parents say. Well, and even if that's not happening immediately, the teachers have some sort of responsibility to the students so that when the students have kids, they will at least know where that, where that disconnect is and how they can more critically think about what the teacher's saying. And the parents need to respect the teachers at yes. the end of the day. And, you and you that, always see the ironic joke, and you know, 30 years ago, there'd be a parent holding out a paper that says... How do you explain this grade? And the little boy would be sad, and the teacher behind him would, would also be a little bit stern. And now you've got the students standing abreast to the parents, and the parents are screaming at the teacher, how do you explain this grade? And the student has the most smug look on his face. So it, there, there's a his huge His grade might shift. be described as shitty. <laughs> yes. So there's, there's this terrible disconnect where we just assume that the teachers are supposed to do all of the work in terms of educating our students. But the the parents. That's and the what students, we pay them for, damn it! And we don't pay them at all. <laughs> we don't pay them very much to do that. And we don't. Well, and we don't because uh, they suck. At what point does the responsibility for a student's education fall on the student, 
and not on the teacher. Well, you're forgetting, you're forgetting the third angle here. It also falls on the parent. <laughs> what it does. Yeah, and this one. this is where the parents forget. They they assume that if their student is not doing well, they always see they always see their student working as hard as they can. So why is why is the teacher failing him? I don't know if they've ever bothered to ask the student, "How are you doing in your class? Do yeah. you need help?" The te- the, 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 the the parent needs more involvement. And I know that, and this one comes again really shitty because we go into the, the lower SESs yeah. and they don't have time. And that's such a miserable thing. That's so unfortunate and unfair for the students. Mm. I guess the, the lower SES students aren't usually the ones complaining at the teachers about the bad grades. Because similarly, yeah. they don't have time to go to parent-teacher conferences. Mm. But the, That's the, what psychiatry is for. The parents do need to take a slightly more active role in making sure that the education is going the way it is. And not just automatically jump the teacher when they see a bad grade. The yep. first thing they need to do is not assume that their child plays Candyland and smiles and rainbows all day, but that maybe their student is to some extent struggling and that they need help. This is not always a failing of the teacher. This may be a failing of the student, and that is a situation where the parent can help, and they need to, they need to see that. They need to notice those situations. But we run, once again, into the signal theory problem. If you buy completely into the signal theory, which any parent who is going after a teacher complaining about a grade, yes. that is exactly what they are worried about, there is no way to dissuade that parent because the signal theory, if it does nothing else, it confines the path of education. It forces you to make it all the way through college with straight A's. Yeah. Uh, that, because that is, in a, as objective a sense as any educational program can be, that's the goal. Right. Is to end up with all A's when you're done. Um, how do you combat that? Can you combat that? There needs to be... Because <laughs> there's no teaching around that. No, that, 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 is a, that is a point of the open house and the parent-teacher conferences where we're not directly talking about the student's performance on a particular task or behavior. That is the teacher and the parent having a dialogue about what's supposed to be happening. Look, man, I'm giving him a best shot, all right? I got to give me something, please. Not even. It, yeah, it, it, actually, yes. Never mind my not even. That is exactly. <laughs> you need to give me something. I can't give your student everything. You need to be there, too. You can't just assume that while you're off, you know, shopping at Publix and avoiding all the the non-designer stores that your student is probably doing a great job and when they get home, you know, they say they're doing a good job or their teacher sucks. So, oh man, their teacher sucks, I gotta get on that. There needs to be a dialogue between the parent and the teacher where it's like, hey, I need to talk to you. There's a problem and we need to fix it together. I can't fix this problem. This is still your child. If I try to fix this, they're going to complain to you that it's going wrong and then you're gonna complain to me. I, the, the, the parents have to have, the parents who complain have to have responsibility, really. They have to take responsibility for, I don't want to say the shortcomings of the students, but their inability to help students when students actually need help at home. Well, I mean, I think it's important to recognize that it is a shortcoming at the end of the day and that your kid isn't the perfect snowflake that you maybe thought they were. Right. And in that sense, how do you get them to be as perfect a snowflake as they can? What kind of scaffolding can you provide at home that I cannot reinforce because I'm not at your home? I teach your student as much as I can in the six hours as an elementary school or one hour as you know post-elementary school teacher that I am to shape your student. I need you to help a little bit more when they get home. They can't just drop off and play video games. I need you to help teach. I need you to help form this perfect snowman. 
and then the, out of the snowflake that is your child. And then the parent asks to speak to your supervisor. <laughs> and all I can do is refer them to my supervisor and hope that he's a humorous guy. <laughs> or gal, I suppose. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, there's... Uh, and that, that big thing is the dynamic between whether the state should have uh, a s significant uh, amount of uh, control over uh, students or whether it's more in the parents' uh, realm. Um, and, and I think, uh, I mean, not to harp on the whole scheduling thing, but I think just the, the fact that for lower-income people uh, whose parents may not have the time to dedicate to their children that uh, higher-income people do, that having a longer school day would may, may help with that. I can see that, absolutely. And even if it is, we've, we've brushed on this topic a handful of times, but not actually touched it. But even if it is for just general thinking time, yeah. if it's not structured education, if it's free time, for lack of a better way of putting it, it doesn't strictly have to be recess, be, but yeah. it's just like free independent study time. And I know that's kind of a pipe dream because we all spend independent study to chat with each other and sleep. I mean, I already... But that's good, too. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes that's enough. Or just reading a book or Yeah, any, sometimes you anything. need to decompress. Sometimes yep. you need just time to do your homework in a, yeah. again, safe environment. I mean, I know, as I'm saying it, exactly why parents would not be okay with this idea, but I was always a little confused why the buses don't wait an hour after school to go. Drugs, of course, are the reason why they would never do that. <laughs> yeah, they don't want it's because but. <laughs> they have to fit in three levels of schooling with one set of buses. Well, but it would make it even easy. It would make it easier if you staggered it that way. If you threw the if you threw the elementary school students onto either oh, the playground oh, or just shift. the general premises. Right, oh. if everyone waited an hour. If everyone and, waited an hour, okay. Yeah, and, and yes, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Unsavory, unsavory activity is unfortunately the, the, the biggest reason. Well, and that's more likely if they're going home to a home without parents than it is if they're staying at a That is not school. a reality that anyone is willing to discuss on camera. Uh, yeah, actually, that... <laughs> I'll discuss it off camera right a, here. It's a great way of putting <laughs> it. Is that there are right. no cameras. <laughs> like, the moment you go home, there's literally no one watching, whereas even if you had crammed all the students into a gymnasium and just had all the people, all the teachers lying around like a fence. I don't care. They're at least being supervised for that I hour. Mean, I would have hated that. Right. Sounds but miserable for those of us who played, don't need it. We would have gone and played Melee. Yeah. So it's okay. <laughs> Look, you can do whatever you want during that time. If you want to go off and you have a super... I mean, that is something... That's a dynamic that actually existed at our high school. I don't know if that exists in places that are more locked down, but... You get a teacher to sponsor a thing, and you can go do basically whatever you want. You barely need a pretense that it's educational. Yeah. You just need to know that someone's watching. You kind of needed to write a pretense and have it seem club. educational. But we had a melee club. We did. Yeah. We literally yeah. went to a teacher's classroom while she was, like, grading and played melee. And that's fantastic. <laughs> Except that you had to get driven home because the yes, buses were not that was not definitely there. a limiting factor for those students. I think mm -hmm. that's a fun way, again, utopia perspective, but you have an independent study ungraded at the end of the day where it's just an hour or an hour and a half long where you just get to do, it's kind of like pause was if you remember high yeah. school. Well, it's, <laughs> it's that, it's that at the end time. of the day once you have, you, it's your decompression period exactly. with your friends. And again, it's, it's critical. The part of this is that the public transit needs to be there. Yes. It can't, because that immediately segregates it into low and high income yeah, right. if you have to be driven home. Yes. And I, I have a question that may, may be directed at Andy because you uh, have more experience with the European school system. In America, 
everything is very spread out, um, and the buses have to run at a certain time because they have to go to a certain place at a certain time. Maybe they mm -hmm. could be extended, uh, but the public transit uh, available to a public school system is pretty limited, and students often don't have the ability to walk home because the school may be too far away. Mm -hmm. uh, in Europe, do the schools tend to be more centralized? They have almost no buses of their own yeah, so because there are buses and trains everywhere. That, that's yeah, And that as a... As a second grader, my brothers were expect as second graders, my brothers were expected to take public transit to and from school by themselves. No American constituency would vote for that. I know. Not There's now. absolutely no way that would happen. No, <laughs> it would be that would be a hard sell. That would be That would be an impossible sell. That's a hard sell. Never be able to do that. I mean not an option. Nothing ever happened. You know, of course, yeah. like yeah. It, it, it was not a big deal, and it taught nothing a ever huge happens amount, here. It taught a huge amount <laughs> no, of independence. Just a non-start, and it was it's great. It's a, a fear thing because yeah. uh, child abductions, all all child uh, assault, all that stuff is way down since the 1960s. Yeah. In the 1960s, parents were more willing to let their kids run around to do whatever they want than they are now. Yep. But nowadays. Even though it is way safer now than it was 50, 40 years ago. Which is which is good. Which is that's a positive. Which is also which is also true. <laughs> Just a lot to of be people clear. I think a lot of people don't realize that that violent crime and crime against children especially is very much down over the last couple of decades and remains to put so. it mildly yes and uh and that's not just because parents are more helicopter parents than they they used to be you can kind of <laughs> con control for that a little bit uh in some of the stuff i've read at least i don't have a specific thing to cite because i'm a, a bad scholar if you're even mildly skeptical of that claim might i recommend the better angels of our nature by stephen pinker it's about 800 pages of comprehensive breakdowns of just how less violent humans have become over time in every measurable way. Uh, even though the world and the United States specifically is safer now than it used to be, uh, parents today seem less willing to let their kids walk home from school or do other things. And I remember when I was in in middle school, I biked home from middle school uh, mm -hmm. to and from in yep, seventh same. and eighth grade. Um, yeah, and, uh, absolutely. We did a we had a little pack. We yeah. we went to school in. Yeah, and, and Timber Creek was a little far. That wouldn't have been possible from. from it would have been inconvenient. I biked to our sc our school was it's like ten miles. Probably. Yeah, it's not it that far. It was maybe four four miles. Probably. I remember it took me about an hour to walk there really? from my house. It's eleven right. miles there. Well, oh, it's cut... it's eleven miles there and back. So well, it's used six to be miles. able to used to be able to cut through. The back of Eastwood through Stony Brook, would you be going all the way through Waterford Chase? Or? No, you go through Chase. Chase is oh, faster. Right. Even that's just... Yeah, oh, yeah. Just, just you go too far Chase, south. Okay. Well, this is so inside baseball. It's yeah. unrelatable to anyone. Yeah. Yeah. But six miles uh, is a little way to go. But I would have considered it, and I had. Yeah, I had several times that's during shorter my... Than I, that's shorter than I thought it was. That, that's doable. It's a long way for, for a lot of people, but that, that's doable at least. That's reasonable. And it sounds intimidating for lower grades, but you have to remember that there are you know, six times as many middle schools as there are high school and six times as many middle, you know, elementary schools as there are middle schools. So they just get closer every time. My yeah. sister walks with her two sons to elementary school. And frankly, by the time Tristan is fifth grade, I wouldn't be surprised if he was just walking back just because it is close enough. And I took karate. I was a black belt. <laughs> I could have taken him. We'll if, as long as they had no Little weapons Falcon and were Kiltuck. not very well good with their hands. <laughs> I'd have been all right. Yeah, no reach, no weapons, pretty athletically unfit. Yeah, I if I was being attacked not by geriatric... Old ladies, I would have been totally fine. Yeah. You could have mildly annoyed those old ladies, too. Yeah. At least run away. I could have discouraged them. That's the important thing. And I was on a bike, they weren't going to catch me. 
But yeah, I can definitely see that as being the first. Let your kids play in the dirt, goddammit. <laughs> I can definitely see that as the first solution or or just idea that needs to be posited where we just have a study period, an independent decompression time yeah. for all our students. We can yeah. even make it shorter for the lower levels and yeah, higher for the longer levels. And if you're a rich kid that doesn't want it, you can get driven home. <laughs> I, I think it's- an, That's up to you. But I think in, they would. Uh, eighth grade, we thing. had the, yeah. uh, was it pre-algebra uh, that we had yeah, before that's right. school? Yep. Uh, and that was like yeah. the only thing- it was full algebra, mm-hmm. and that was like the only thing that was offered. There could have been so many other classes that were offered uh, in that in that time, and it was convenient for for my parents because they could drop me off on the way to work because that was middle school. Normally started at nine thirty. Nine thirty. Yeah. Nine thirty. Yeah, so our 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 algebra class was at eight thirty, which is more convenient for for working adults than, yeah. than nine thirty for sure. Um, yeah, I mean that could have been a, a thing that was expanded upon, but it was only really available to us upper level people <laughs> for whatever reason. Yeah, uh, and I well, did in seventh grade. Budget. Again, yeah, it, and I did do. Just, uh, you had to pay teachers for an extra hour being yep. there. Yeah. Yeah, and it's hard. I did do intramural basketball as well in seventh grade, I believe, before school, um, which was fun as well. And that was yeah, sports is something that you can do before or after school, preferably before in Florida when it's uh, ninety degrees. <laughs> Not ninety afternoon. degrees. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it sounds like we solved all the problems. I mean, uh, we've yeah. at least poked Good at the job, problems. We, we've had some ideas. We've we addressed have. the situations. We've had some great dissenting opinions. I didn't actually realize that I was going to disagree as much as I did with Andy today. <laughs> but that and was I think fun. that's okay. <laughs> yeah, it breeds good, discu- yeah, exactly. good discussion. Exactly. Yeah, there's wanna... a good exchange of but ideas. I, yeah, I think we've hit the majority of the topics with. Again, oh, don't use that phrase. Majority of topics. Bar- no. No. It's Andy, it's a good exchange of ideas. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. With a with a fair breath. I, I barfed a little bit. <laughs> I was not just vodka. You anyway, you don't like um, exchanging well, I think ideas. It's, uh... Um, the term is just it's it is used. You you haven't been in real business. That term shows up just a staggering amount. Ad nauseum, uh, would you say? Um, yes. <laughs> Indeed, it makes you sick. And it means nothing. <laughs> it, it means that multiple people were on a phone for longer than they probably should have been on a phone. Oh. That is all it means. Well, good exchange of ideas, Dave. Excellent. <laughs> a, mean, good ex- a good exchange of ideas to you, too, Andy. <laughs> no one says goodbye anyway. Good exchange of ideas. Discussions are generally better when there are some dissenting or at least varied opinions so that everybody's not just right. agreeing with each other in one giant circle. Apparently yeah. not. Because so if two people circle. disagree about Birdman, yeah. apparently I get accused of being Fox News. So <laughs> I got to figure out how to square that. What? Uh, I had that. two people mention Fox News because Nicole kind of didn't like that movie, and Ryan really liked that movie. Oh, like I that see. was enough. I see what you mean. Yeah. That was enough of a difference. Yeah, I gotta have equal airtime. <sighs> All I want to know is where are my ratings? Ah. If they should be going through the roof. Yeah, what's, like, what's that article that requires my that, on uh, that 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 uh, news stations have equal equal play? Next time uh, on Actual Garbage is Mister Rogers promoting communism. We can't include that. I never tell anybody what's oh. going on next week. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, or was he? <laughs> what? Yeah. Or was he a sniper? Was he a sniper I've seen, in the Vietnam War? I've seen worse. <laughs> Much worse. <sighs> I think he was a sniper. I'm pretty sure War. he was just a man who was disappointed. You know what? Uh, effectively, coincidentally, disenchanted with the education system and took it upon himself to fix it a little bit. Yeah, he did. That's he was, exactly he what it was. He just believed in all of us. 
he's still my go-to for what your dad looks like in the same way that um, <laughs> in the same way the most interesting guy. man in the world on that note yeah. <laughs> actual garbage ladies and gentlemen yeah if you need to know what Hobbs' dad looks like he's the interest, most interesting man in the world <laughs> And Mitchell's dad looks like Mr. Rogers. I he doesn't often have children. I do not children. see that comparison. But when he does, he has Hobb. That's going to do it. That is more than enough talking about this for now. We need to play Keep, uh, keep Talking and Nobody Explodes. So in the meantime, this is all of us signing off. Thanks, everybody, for being here. Thanks for Tune- having us again, Dave. Thanks for having us, mate. Thank you. Tune in next week when... Do you have any ideas on how to fix the education system that'll cost no money that no one has thought of? Feel free to leave a comment related to that or any subject you feel like, since I don't really patrol the comments whatsoever. Also, if you have any particular topics you'd like any of us to discuss, feel free to mention them either in the comments or at actualgarbage.net at gmail.com. I promise I'll actually get an email address under that domain at some point, but it will not be this week. Thanks for listening.